Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Because this is the first message in the series, I, I, I sometimes like to start by just talking about the title of the series, because for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about various aspects of fear and, and how fear affects our lives. Thus, the title Generation Fear, and you're going to uh, hear in just a moment why we called it Generation Fear. But first, before we dive into that, something very important. How many of you remember the show Fear Factor? Oh yeah, it was one of my favorite shows. Joe Rogan, right? And all those really interesting, frightening stunts that they would have the contestants do. Uh, Sometimes I couldn't quite believe what people were willing to do for a $50,000 payoff at the end of the show. You know, first of all, they would, they would put them in these frightening situations where um, they might have to be way up high, so they would test their fear of heights or their fear of speed or their fear of water. A lot of the stunts were done over the water. But that wasn't the worst part. You remember what the worst part was. It was the second stunt, right? After they had completed all those sort of normal fears that we all have, they would have the gross things stunt, where maybe you would be put into a, uh, a glass container filled with snakes or spiders or bugs, and just you'd have to allow them to crawl all over you. Anybody getting the wigglies just hearing about it? So fear is very much a part of our life. And I think one of, one of uh, the best lines in that whole show was the one that Joe Rogan would say at the very end to the contestant who won the $50,000. Do you remember what that line was? Evidently, fear is not a factor for you. That was the thing that he would say to the contestants that won. What about you? Is fear a factor for you? Is fear something that plays a a big role in your life? A medium role? Maybe just a small role in your life, only, only used when there are truly situations to, to be a little bit cautious about? Here's the reason we call this generation fear. All the research, and, and there's constantly research being done on American culture and society. All the research is telling us that in the last 20 years, we as a people have gotten more and more and more frightened and anxious. That fear and anxiety have been driven widely into our culture. In fact, we know this from surveys that have been taken. In fact, This got to be such a thing that in 2014, a university decided that they were going to start a study, which has now, after five years, become known as the annual fear list. And so you might wonder, what what are the things that people are afraid of today in 2017? Well, 
last year in 2017. They haven't done the 2018 yet. But what's very interesting is that it correlates closely to what we see on the news. So let me just tell you that the, the, the top fear of 2017 was um, corruption of government officials. The second top fear was, what about my health care? The third top fear was pollution, oceans, rivers, lakes. The fourth was not having enough money for my future, and so on and so forth. You know, what's really interesting is those have changed in just the uh, last five years since the survey started. Five years ago, in 2014, uh, the top five, five fears were walking alone at night, becoming a victim of identity theft, safety on the internet, being the victim of a mass or random shooting, and public speaking. Those were the top five. Notice how much our fears have changed just in five years? It's crazy, but it gets even more interesting because what, what the polls all show is that we're becoming more and more and more fearful, that actually the levels of fear have increased. And one of the ways we know this for sure is by studying prescriptions to what's called the benzos. Do you know what the benzos are? Okay. By studying prescription to benzodiazepine medication. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about medications like Xanax, Valium, Ativan, Clonopin, and so forth. We've seen that between uh, 2009, just between 2009 and 2013, uh, the, the percentage of people taking those medications has risen dramatically. Furthermore, what we're noticing from the data is not only are more prescriptions being handed out, but by looking at it, it seems like the dosage has doubled for most people in that same period. And in fact, some of the studies go back to the late 1990s and continue into the 2010s. So use has gone up, prescriptions are heavier, and here's where it gets really concerning. Overdoses are also majorly up. People are dying from trying to get rid of their anxiety. So as we looked at this and we, and, and we said, man, if, th if this is true, something that God has intended as a gift for us, something to help us in a dangerous world, to avoid the things that could hurt or harm us has become something that has begun to control us to the point where many of us are feeling like we can't handle it without a chemical bump. And I'm, by the way, not standing up here preaching and saying that everybody should immediately throw their drugs away. There are some of us that find the drugs very helpful and useful. But what I am saying is, if you're seeing things go on this trajectory, 
we may have a bigger problem than we realized, and that problem might involve missing the mark with God. We have to ask ourselves, how is fear not only affecting our lives? Is it beginning to control our lives? But we also have to ask ourselves, is fear standing in the way of our relationship with God? Think about it for a moment. We know from the Bible, from the gentleman who said, um, Lord, I believe, help me with my, anybody remember the, the unbelief? That, that fear and trust, that belief and unbelief can coexist in the same heart. But what I'm here to tell you is they coexist like oil and water coexist. They don't mix and mingle And that if we can grow faith, it will push fear away. And that's the point of this whole entire series, Generation Fear, is to talk about how can we, with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's help, grow faith so that fear begins to dissipate And we don't need to go to other places to be able to use our fear as the gift God intended it to be and gain control of it rather than it gaining control of us. Remember that passage that I read uh, just a few moments ago? In fact, just yesterday we were in our leadership group. We call it um, Crosswalk Institute. And we were meeting in a classroom, and we were, we were talking about how important it is for us to lean into God's promises and lean into God's grace. And one of the participants in the class brought this very passage up. And, and maybe you just jot this passage down in the, in the uh, margin of your notes. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and now especially this point, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want you to hear that again. We take captive every thought, including fearful thoughts, to make it obedient to Christ. Here's why I'm giving you that passage. Here's why I want you to write that passage down, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We're going to see David in the Old Testament do this. We're going to see him in Psalm 56 take fearful thoughts captive and make them obedient To Christ. And we're going to see what that does for him and what that does for his fear. And the reason I want you to see this is because you can do the very thing that David does. And that when you learn how to do this, fear doesn't have to be in control of you anymore. Fear doesn't have to tell you what to do. You can tell fear what to do because you'll know that you have God's help and that God's on your side. So you ready to dive in and see how David handles this? Pull out your crosswalk notes. Let's read Psalm 56, verses 1 to 4. Be merciful to me, my God. 
my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long, they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and, notice, am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So what's beautiful about this, and I didn't put this introduction in your notes, is we know exactly what the circumstances were that caused David to get frightened. In fact, to get so terrified that he felt it was necessary to fake being crazy in order to avoid being killed. That's, you know, David, interestingly, had fears about things that were true physical threats to his life. Here's a man who was in constant warfare, a guy who could have very easily been debilitated by PTSD and other great things where fears begin to control us. But he had learned somehow to take his fears and let them turn him to God, and he found his confidence there. I'm not saying he didn't experience his fears. I'm not saying he never experienced any trauma. Many of the things he did experience were traumatic. But he learned to take his thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Now, you've all seen the news. You've all seen cop shows. And you know, sometimes when the good guys want to take the bad guys down, what do the bad guys do? Do they always just meekly fold, hold their hands out and say, cuff me? What I'm about to tell you is taking your thoughts captive can be like a cop trying to take a criminal captive at times. It's not always easy. And your thoughts are going to struggle against you. Your thoughts are going to fight back against you trying to control them. And so this is why it's so important that we learn this and then begin to put it into practice so that with God's help, and we are going to need God's help, we can begin to learn how to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Look at what David does here. First of all, he cries out. Be merciful to me, my God. This is a horrible situation. I I had to run away from King Saul, who's trying to kill me, constantly hunting me down. And the only idea I could get is, I'm going to go to the Philistines next door because their enemy is now my enemy, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So I'm going to the Philistines, which he does. And he he goes and talks to uh, Achish, the king of Gath. And Achish is willing. He says, "I'll, I'll take you in and protect you. But Achish's people, after they see what the king does, they come back to Achish behind David's back and they say, isn't that the dude who killed Goliath, our friend, our brother? Why are you... Achish, why are you taking him in? That's our enemy you just said you're going to protect. 
And then that began to threaten David. As Imagine the squeeze here, right? David is on the one side being attacked by the king of Israel, King Saul. On the other hand now, he's got a mob of people coming after him because he killed their friend. And it's in that situation where David cries out to God. Under great attack, being terrorized by both sides, David says, I need you, God. Be merciful to me. My enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long, they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. Have you ever been in that situation where you're convinced the other side is not going to give up? And they're coming at you, and not just coming at you, but they have no plans to put their weapons down, and you are getting tired. You're feeling exhausted and worn out. It's like this situation keeps coming at me, and from what I can tell, there's no end in sight. That's what David is feeling here. And so it's beginning to feel overwhelming. But look what he says in verse 3. When I am afraid, what does he do? I put my trust in you, God. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? In God I trust. God, you're trustworthy. God, I know that I can lean on you and your arms are underneath me. You will take care of me. I can trust your promises. Take a look at 2 Samuel 7, 28. Much later now, David is uh, offering to build a temple for God. God comes back through the prophet Nathan and says, you're not going to build a temple for me. Your son Solomon will do that, but I will build a house for you. And what he means by that is he's going to make sure that David's line and David's descendants are going to go on in Judah. And David, his mind is blown by this. And he's so grateful and so thankful. This is what he says. He says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant, that is your agreement with us, your promises to us, your covenant is trustworthy. I can trust you. And you have promised these good things to your servant. I want you to do me a favor before we go on any further. In that little blank space, I want you to take your pen, the blank space next to Psalm 56, 1 to 4, and I want you to write a circle. This is going to be important throughout the rest of the message. So write a circle like a clock face. And as you think about a clock, at 12 o'clock, I want you to write events. And at 3 o'clock, I want you to write Thoughts, events at 12, thoughts at 3. At 6 o'clock, I want you to write emotions. If you've been here for a while, you've seen this before. And then finally, at 9 o'clock, I want you to write words and actions. And then in the middle of the circle, I want you to write habits and character. Here's what that circle means. It means that God has given us the ability to take our thoughts captive, and thus, by taking our thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ, you know what we do? 
We make our emotions obedient to Christ, and we make our words and actions obedient to Christ, but it starts with our thoughts. That's why thoughts is at three o'clock. The events at the top simply means events are going to happen in life. You're going to experience events in life. Some of them are going to be scary events, frightening events. And the natural thought, because God has built in this gift of self-protection, which is necessary in a dangerous world, is going to be, how am I ever going to get out of this? It's going to be like David. This is scary. This is traumatic. But I want you to think that if Paul tells us that we can take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, and if we watch David doing this here, I want you to believe you can do the same thing. And what we do is we simply say, what am I experiencing? And what is the truth about God? What am I experiencing And what is the truth about God? And you're going to see David do that here. What am I experiencing? My enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long, they press their attack. Those are the events David is describing right up there at 12 o'clock. And David is frightened, maybe frightened out of his gourd. But then he says to himself, I'm going to take my thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And so he begins to substitute the truth that he knows about God in the Bible. And you and I, we can do the very same thing. Look at the very first thought. God is trustworthy. Will you write this in? That's what David is saying here. God, you are trustworthy. Your promises, your covenant is trustworthy. When people attack and terrorize me, I will call to God. I will call to him. Because he is trustworthy. There's your first thought. I'm going to give you three more. So whatever it is you're going through right now in your life, here's what I'm inviting you to do. Here's what I'm urging and encouraging you to do. Whatever you're feeling anxious and frightened by, whatever those thoughts of fear are, I want to encourage you to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to this thought, which is making them obedient to to Christ. I have a God whom I can trust. He is trustworthy. Let's go on and see what David does next. All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. He's talking again about Saul and these Philistines that he thought might be his friend. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps hoping to take my life. Because of of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. So once again, what does David do? And and by the way, this is an important step in this. Detail the things that are making you frightened. So in those first verses, they're pursuing me all day long, God. I don't think they're going to give up. What does he do here? They twist my words. Their scheme is to bring me ruin. They're conspiring against me. They're lurking, just watching for me to trip up so they can push me over. They watch my steps, and I know what their motive is, and it's not a gentle one. They want to take me down. No question. 
These are the events. This is the 12 o'clock for David. And he's writing them out. But then again, we know what David's going to do, don't we? By the power of the Holy Spirit, David says, wait a minute. Even if they're trying to bring me down, even if they're gossiping about me, even if they're conspiring and plotting against me, no matter how powerful they are, here's what I know. God sees their wickedness. And God is a just God. God is a good God. He, he cares about truth when they're telling lies. He's told us to protect the reputations of others, and they're gossiping. They want to kill me, and God who sees everything sees the motive of their hearts. Remember, Jesus says, even if you hate a person in your heart, you've already committed murder against them. God sees this. Because God is a good God who hates lies and injustice. Or, to put it in the opposite way, you can write this down, God desires truth and justice. This is the now second time David takes his thoughts captive and makes them obedient to Christ. Yes, all these things are really happening. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not Pollyanna here. These things are true. These events are occurring, but God desires truth and justice. And I'm going to take my fears at three o'clock, all those fearful thoughts, and I am going to push those aside. And inside there, I'm going to say, but I have a God who, who desires truth and justice. And I want to tell you, when people are conspiring against you? When people are gossiping and plotting and attacking you, you, you can let those fears lock you up and imprison you and make you a slave, or you can take those fearful thoughts and you can say, but I have a God who cares about truth and justice. And when people gossip and conspire, I'm going to convey my concerns to God. Take a look at Psalm 45, 4 and 6, right above this point. In your majesty, this is talking to God, in your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of what? Truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. The Apostle Paul puts this a little bit differently. Maybe you've heard this verse. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. One of the most powerful things you can do when you feel like you're under attack by people is to believe that promise of God in Romans chapter 12. To see what David does here and say, God, you're in control. I don't know how you want to handle these people and what they're doing to me, but I'm turning justice and truth over to you. 
you will avenge in the way that you think is best because that's who you are, and I don't trust myself to take that role. But I do trust you because you care about truth and justice. Let's turn the page. Here's what's interesting. David sort of cycles through this several times where he's like, here are the events, here are my fears, and then we've already seen, then he goes, well, I'm going to take those thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ, and he does. He says, well, God, God is, he cares about truth, God is trustworthy, and in that way, he takes those thoughts and make, makes them obedient. As we begin to read on in the psalm, what we notice is less and less space is being devoted to the fears and the events, and more and more space is being devoted to the truth about God's love and God's power. So take a look. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Lord, you do care, right? Because this is breaking me. I feel so close to caving in because of my fears. This is brutal, God. But then, look at that, verse 9. Only after one verse of that, he turns back to God. Do you, do you remember the disciples are on the lake in a big storm? And Jesus, thank you, and Jesus is, is sleeping in the back of the boat, and they're scared out of their gourd. What do they do? Something in them triggers them to say, well, we can stand here being frightened out of our gourd or we can run back there to the back of the boat and wake Jesus up. Which is what they do. And Jesus goes, oh, people of little faith. I was taking a nap. And you woke me up. That's what you should be afraid of, by the way. But okay, be still, wind and waves. And what happens? Boom, calm. And, and they look at each other. What? Even the wind and waves obey him? What the disciples did a thousand years after David is exactly what David is doing here. He's running to the back of the boat. Or if he were Peter... Instead of looking at the wind and the waves while he's trying to walk on the water, he looks down and he sees, oh yeah. Or he looks up from sinking in the ocean. He goes, oh yeah, there's, there's Jesus' hand for me. And he grabs hold of it. That's what David is doing here. Turning his attention away from the wind and the waves and looking up at the hand, the loving, powerful hand of Jesus that can lift him back up. So look what he does. Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. Will you underline those words? God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can man do to me? I want you to underline all of verse 11. That's the central verse in this psalm, Psalm 56. In God I trust and am not afraid, what can man do to me? I hope you memorize that passage. What's David saying? Yes, this situation is dangerous. And it's truly dangerous for me. 
Make no bones about it. Yes, I am frightened out of my gourd. But I'm going to take even that and make it captive to Christ. I'm going to remind myself God loves me. I'm his dearly loved child, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he is for me. And I want you to think those thoughts. As as you think about the things that you're fearful of, that frighten you, maybe that drive you to other strategies to try to handle your fear. And I'm not just talking chemical strategies, although as we heard, there are lots of chemical strategies for this. I'm talking about things that are things that push you away from God instead of toward God. And there can be as myriad of those kind of things that we resort to when we're afraid as as you can count We could be counting them for an hour. But David says, no, when I'm afraid, I'm going to run to the back of the boat. I'm going to look up and see Jesus' hand, and I'm going to take those thoughts and and make, make them captive to God and his love because as the apostle John writes, listen to this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. There is no fear in love. We underline that passage. There is no fear in love. You want to know how to get rid of fear? Replace it with love. First of all, replace it with, I am loved by the perfect one who loves because he is love. And the more Jesus fills your heart, the more the Holy Spirit, through the word, notice how many times David mentions the word here. The more Jesus is pushed in through the word into your heart and his love becomes transparent and constantly available to your heart, the more fear dissipates. The more you can say that simple mantra that we say over and over, this is one of the reasons why we say that mantra over and over again. Most of you already have it memorized. I am a dearly loved Loved, child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. What would happen in frightening situations if you just took a moment and go, man, I'm frightened. How do I take this thought and make it obedient to Christ? If you just step back for a moment and said to yourself, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I am a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did for me on the cross. That's what he did for me through his resurrection. Not only did he forgive all my sins, not only did he offer me eternal life as a free gift, but he also said, be assured of who you are, a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And God is the best father you can imagine. As earthly fathers, it can happen, much as we never want it to happen, that we fail to protect our children, but not with the heavenly father. He knows everything, sees everything, and has power over everything. Doesn't mean that at times you won't feel pain or fright. 
but you can turn to this all-powerful God and his love. Will you write this down? God loves me and is for me. When people make me feel miserable and broken, I'll confirm my confidence in him the way David does here. Look at the rest of that passage from 1 John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And God's love for you is perfect love because fear has to do with punishment. We don't worry about punishment anymore. Christ took the punishment for us. The one who fears is not yet made perfect in love. All right, last part of Psalm 56. I'm under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now, David, he's going straight. There's, notice how the thoughts about the events have disappeared entirely in these last couple of verses. No more events. No more, I'm dying here, God. The thoughts have been taken captive. And in this last little set, he says, God, I've put myself under you. I've made my vows to you. Think about marriage vows. Where the one says, I am yours, and the other says, I am yours. We are committed for life. Doesn't matter what circumstances come along. We've made a covenant with each other, an agreement with each other. We've taken vows. David is saying, God, you and I have exchanged vows. First of all was your vow to love me and forgive me and send a savior for me. And then I I came back by the Spirit's power and said, God, I want to be yours forever. We're, We're in a committed relationship, God. That's what that means when it says... I'm under vows to you. God, we're in a committed relationship. I will present my thank offerings to you. And right now in this committed relationship, Lord, what I really want to think about is how grateful I am, not how frightened I am. You have blessed me so many times over. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Here's what David is saying. Stuff comes up. Frightening stuff is going to happen. Anxious thoughts are going to race in our minds from time to time. But David gets in this habit of saying to himself, when that starts to happen, he, he catches it and he says, but God is a deliverer. God's a deliverer. That's what God does. That's his title. That's his role. That's his job description. But God is deliverer. What if you allowed that thought to play through your mind when you're starting to get scared? Oh my goodness, the boss just gave me the fifth assignment and the other four and the fifth is now due tomorrow and I, there's no, I don't see how I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get fired. This, 
This, look, this is headed toward disaster for me right now. My spouse, we've been together forever and they just got a diagnosis. And that, the diagnosis doesn't look good. I don't know what I'm going to do trying to live without this person. I thought the terrible twos were bad. But now my kids are teenagers. Why didn't someone warn me? I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, Lord. They pursue me all day long, these teenagers. They don't relent. They're constantly rebelling against me. I'm worried about what's going to happen with them. I'm their mom. I'm their dad. And we're outnumbered. I'm outnumbered. And what if in all those situations or whatever your personal frightening circumstances might be, you trained yourself to say, but God is a deliverer. Would you say that with me right now? But God is a deliverer. Let's say it again real loud. But God is a deliverer. Do you see how you can take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ? And, and we see this throughout the whole Bible. Look at Psalm 144.2. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Write this down. God is my deliverer. When people cause me to stumble, I will commit myself to him and to gratitude because he blesses us all the time. I'm going to submit myself to him and commit myself to gratitude. Wouldn't it be awesome if instead of Joe Rogan, we could have Jesus whisper in our ear, evidently, fear is not a factor for you. And what that's going to take is knowing God for who he is. Knowing God for truly who he is. And, and that means believing that all these thoughts are really real. And one of the questions I want to encourage you to ask yourself out of this message is, do I really believe that what I believe is really real? Let me say that again. Do I believe that what I believe about God is really real? You know the beauty of frightening situations? The blessing and the gift of frightening situations is it forces you to ask that question. It puts you in circumstances where at some point you're going to have to say to yourself, do I really believe that God is trustworthy? Do I really believe that God, at the very root of his soul, desires truth and justice? 
Do I really believe that God loves me and is for me? Do I really believe that God is a deliverer? Do I believe that what I believe is really real? If the answer is yes, then you can take your thoughts, even your most frightened thoughts, captive and make them obedient to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we know you. We know who you are. You are a God who is completely trustworthy, who loves truth and justice, and who loves me and is for me. God, we know this is true. God, we know your job description. You are a deliverer. So Lord God, help all of us to call to you when we're in trouble, when we're frightened and fear is taking control of our hearts, minds, and lives. Help us to call to you. Help us to convey our concerns to you. Help us to to confirm and confess our confidence in you. And finally, help us to commit ourselves and our lives to you, knowing that you do truly love us. As we do that, Lord, as we do that, what we are truly asking is for your spirit's power because we need that to take all of our thoughts captive and make them obedient to your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. And as we know, the only way you can fight a liar is with truth. And that's why that little clock you drew is so important. Too many of us make the mistake of fighting our words and actions at nine o'clock, at the point of words and actions. And the big mistake is to try to fight your emotions at the point of motion. Well, emotions are powerful. They're like a, an undertow. Why does Paul say, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? Because when we attack the problem at three o'clock with the Holy Spirit's help, your emotions and your words and your actions are gonna follow your thoughts. So if you're frightened, and especially if you're frightened of people, what we were talking about today, then I want you to remember, here's the truth to fight Satan's lies with. God is trustworthy. He cares about truth and justice. He loves you and he's for you. And your God, he is a deliverer. That's truth. Use it every day to fight the lies of Satan. And that's going to help you with fear. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.